we've been talking about essentially the mission of God and the and the church and its role in it because we've been going through and just started last week a series on the book of Acts. And uh, if you remember what we said about Acts is that it is a, a book that details out, it, it, it's the story of the continuing work of Jesus in the world. And so even though Jesus dies and he rises from the grave after on the third day uh, and appears to his disciples and uh, to many other witnesses, over 500 we're told, um, and then ascends back into heaven to, uh, to be at the right-hand side of his father again, he is still working in the world. That's the message of the book of Acts. He's still present in, in bodily form. It's just that the shape of that form now is not one physical body, but it's many physical bodies, and that body is called the church. And so Acts, if you're part of the church, and I hope that uh, God is leading you to give your life to Christ so that you might actually be part of His church, when you are part of His church, this story in the book of Acts isn't just some historical narrative of people that lived in a time that was way before your time. This is actually your family heritage. This is the story of what happened next in the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus lives out through His people. So if we're His people, this is our story. And that should, that should be really exciting to us that we get to ask the question as we read through this, what is it that Jesus continued to do? And then what is Jesus continuing to do even today that might even include us? And so we, we need to be people who have our ears open to what it is that God is doing in our day because we're people that still have Him as our Lord and, and King, still have the Spirit, which we're going to see uh, next week and how that all happens, and we're still people that live on His mission uh, in, in everything that we do. And so we get to join Him in that. And so if, if you were around last week, you'd know that, that what we did is the, the first 11 verses, and, uh, and we left off after last week with this scene happening where the apostles, those who were sent, apostles just means sent ones, were, were there at Jesus' departure. And Jesus said, before I go, you need to know that I have a mission for you. You're going to be my witnesses in, in everywhere that you go, starting here and going to the very ends of the earth. But that you're, you're not to do that mission yet until you have my spirit actually living in you, my presence with you to accomplish that mission. It needs to be living in you because you need my power in order to accomplish my mission. Don't try to do it without me. Because if you do it without me, things are going to go really bad for you. So wait. Wait till I send that. So that's where we left off. And we're going to pick up there with what happens next. And the question is, what are they to be doing between the time that Jesus says, here's what you're to do, and, and the time where he brings, the, in a sense, the power source for them to do it? What do you do in the meantime? We're going to see what they do. So we're going to pick up in verse 12. If you're going to read along in the Bibles that we have uh, provided for you, it's going to be on page 756. Okay, we're, we're not going to have all the verses up here, so you might want to follow along in some form. Then, after all this happened, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Historically, that's about three-quarters of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room that they were staying in. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, 
and Judas, son of James. Here's the key verse. They were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, so about the size of our community, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. So if you know anything about the story of how Jesus got arrested and tried and ultimately crucified, Judas, one of the twelve, was the one that led the authorities to where he was. And in payment, Judas got a small payment out of it. They said he's the one that's been causing all the trouble. And ultimately, that's why Jesus got arrested. And what Peter is saying here is, this is gonna, it sounds like chaos. It sounds like things are out of control. But remember, God had a plan for this to happen thousands of years before it actually occurred. So even though it seems you know, chaotic to us, it seems, it seems like it may be outside of God's plan, and I'm even thinking of this in terms of the, the boils and their experience in going down to Haiti. Even though it seems like this could never be part of God's plan, don't forget that it actually is. Don't forget that God had this worked out well beforehand. And David was the one that told us it was going to happen. Verse 18, With the reward that he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. It's kind of a gross picture, right? That's how he died. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they called the field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary for us to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken up from us. For one, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas had left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the eleven apostles. So we're not going to get to pretty much everything in this verse, but we're try to get behind the heart maybe of what's going on here. What is it that you notice that the believers are doing at this point in the story? Praying, right? And and praying what? What's the... Describe their prayer. Yeah, constantly. And what else? And together. Yeah, you get a sense that these people, they're, they're, those are really the characteristics of what it looks like to be part of this community. And so Jesus says, I have a mission for you, but wait until you get my spirit. And and immediately they go, well, what's the first thing we should do? We should pray. And not just pray once, but we're going to pray constantly. And not just pray constantly as individuals, we're going to there's going to be a spirit of unity. And so we're going to we're not just going to be physically together, but there's going to be a, a spiritual, in a sense, togetherness that we're going to all pray in one accord. God, what do you have next for us? What are we to do? 
And they're praying this prayer over and over and over again. Later on in the book of Acts, in in chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That word devoted means that they did it often. They were committed to it. It was a regular part of their community life. Chances are, if you were going to stumble into one of their gatherings, one of the things that they would be doing more than anything else is praying. They were a praying community. And, and if this bears itself out if you actually look throughout the book of Acts. That prayer is mentioned over 30 times. They prayed for strength. They prayed for wisdom. They prayed for guidance. They prayed praising God. They prayed for the Spirit to come. They prayed for the Spirit to work. They prayed before they sent anybody on mission, just like we did last week. They prayed for healing. They prayed raising people from the dead. They prayed to be released from prison. They prayed for protection. It seems like if you look at the landscape of their life as a community, that everything had included prayer. Almost nothing that they do throughout the entire book, they do without prayer. They were a prayerfully dependent community. And here's the thing I was thinking about as I was reading through this and even reading through the entire book of Acts, here's the impression that you get. And it's a really crazy thing. It's as if these people who are a community together are still acting as though Jesus is still with them. Do you get that impression? It's, it's almost like they believe that Jesus is still there on this journey with them, leading them as it, as, just as he had done while he was on earth. And so prayer for them, it wasn't an event that you schedule like it's Wednesday night prayer, you know. We ring the bell and everybody comes to prayer. It wasn't like designated for a certain group within the church, like this is the prayer team and they're the ones that pray and the rest of us, we don't pray so much, right? It wasn't like that at all. Prayer was a state of being within the church. It was a, a, a constant thing where they were in the presence of Jesus and this state of prayer was actually available to everyone who is a believer. Are you getting this impression from seeing the community? Let me ask this then. This is part of our dialogue. Why, why is it that you think that Jesus' followers were so devoted to prayer? Why would they commit themselves to this? Why, why is this a regular activity? Okay, Jesus did it. Yep, so they, they saw... They saw it modeled from the one that they're following, right? Great. They realized, yeah, they couldn't do it alone. So, yeah, Jesus comes to you and he goes, I want this little band of people, maximum 120, to to be my witnesses to billions of people. And I'm out of here. Good luck. If that doesn't make you pray, I don't know what does, you know? It, they're, they're confronted with what seems to be an impossible task, right? How in the world are we going to do this without the one that showed us how to do it, you know? And so they're, they have to continually, it seems, go back to the one that has the plan. We don't know how it's going to get done. We have no idea. We don't even know when you're going to send the Spirit. We're just in a waiting pattern. So we need to continually go back to the one that gives us the plan and go, you're, you're the king, we're the followers. King, show us what to do next. And, and that bears itself out, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So they had Jesus' promise that something else was coming for them. And so they could pray expectantly, couldn't they? Because they knew up until that time, Jesus has always been faithful to his word. What's going to stop that now? He's actually risen from the dead. So he's even more capable of being faithful, even when he was just a human being. Now he's even more capable of that. And so there's an expectation. Yeah, so we're going to come back to him and pray constantly because we know that Jesus can give us anything that he wants. Yeah, there was a, a, a relational component to that, right? If you've spent three years with this Jesus, eating, sleeping, watching him do ministry, conversing about every little thing, and now suddenly he's not there, in your heart you're going, I want to be connected to this person still. And I want to be connected to one another. And so you're going to do everything within your power to stay connected to the one because you just love him so much. And I would ask, is that, is that happening for us? It's a big indication of our love for Jesus is how often do we run to him in prayer, right? These are all fantastic things. I think th- they're all true. They're all really true. They were dependent in prayer for a number of reasons. And one of those reasons was that the life that they're now living, this life that Jesus has now called them to, demands that Jesus be both present and in control. If you're not here, then this isn't going to happen. If you're not in control, then we don't know what to do. And that's what we see in their lives. So I want to ask you, maybe just on the front end, as you're thinking of your own life, does the life that you're living require Jesus to show up? Or can you just kind of manage it on your own? Is it, a, it is, a, is it a prayerfully dependent life because you're living the kind of life that requires the presence and the power of Jesus in it? Or are you perfectly capable of living your life the way that you're living it and you don't need his power or his presence? That's a tremendously convicting question, I think, for all of us. So where uh, I guess we've already mentioned it, right? They would have known how to pray because they would have watched the one who devoted his life to prayer. It's pretty much that simple. Because they've walked with Jesus. They watched his life. They saw him model it for three years. And so they would have seen Jesus pray early. They, They would have seen Jesus pray in front of big crowds. They would have seen Jesus pray with a small group, right? Is that happening for us? They would have seen Jesus pray with two or three in just a, a very intimate group. And, and what the impression that we get is that Jesus is sharing even more and more of his life with this smaller group of people. One of the things that we're going to be intentional about trying to increase this year is something called DNA groups, which is just essentially three, three men or three women that get together on a regular basis and say, Here, we're going to help one another in our discipleship. We're, DNA, discipleship, nurture, accountability. We're going to help nurture one another. If anyone's going to call and see how are you doing this week, it's going to be us. This, this is our kind of inner circle. And we're going to hold one another accountable to actually walking in the ways of Jesus. So if, <clears throat> if this sounds like something that's kind of a gap in your life, then come and talk to me about it. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Because so I think it's going to fill a, a real need uh, that's within our community. And it's something that we saw Jesus model. We, we also saw Jesus model tremendous amounts of prayer alone. 
he would separate himself from the masses and the crowds and even his own disciples, and he would go to quiet places to to pray. I mean, we live in a society that's 24-7 connected in everything that we do. All of you have cell phones on. They're all probably pinging to the Internet currently, and some of you are checking your, your email even as I'm speaking, right? We're connected all the time. Let me ask, do you think that has an impact on your ability to hear God if, you, if your entire life is flooded with noise from other places? Probably, right? And we have more of those voices than ever. Voices in the form of text and video and, I mean, you name it. It's all around us. Do we spend time actually unplugging from those things so that we might hear from the one that might want to give us direction? And, and, and remind us of his presence with us. See, sometimes I think we don't need the presence of God because our life is full of the presence of so many other things. I mean, who needs the presence of God when you have Facebook, right? Who needs your Heavenly Father to approve of you and to speak love into your life when you can just kind of text out to your 300 followers what's going on in your life and immediately get people flooding in responses going, oh, no, no, you're a better person than that. You see the conflict there? It's no wonder that we can't hear the voice of God. It's no wonder. We saw Jesus model this. He prayed for big things, but he also prayed for small things too. How often do we pray for small things and everything? And we saw him pray over meals. That's why I think when we talk about discipleship, one of the most important things that we can talk about in terms of growing in our relationship with God is actually spending time with other people who model for us the kind of people that we need to become. So in other words, there's only so far that you can get on Sunday morning and expect to be a fully formed follower of Jesus. It's kind of the vernacular that we sometimes use in the church. You actually need to be part of a prayerfully dependent community because we all need one another to model this kind of life for each other. It's, it's essential to actually growing up into Jesus. It would have made sense to them because they saw Jesus model it. They saw him do it. They saw him live it. And so they, they're, they're getting together in a community for the first time without Jesus physically present. And what are they going to do? We're going to do the same thing we've always been doing. We're going to pray. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what we did when we were were with Jesus. And now Jesus is with the Father. So much more so should we pray that he's not actually physically, bodily in the room. And so what I want to do is actually go back to what it is that Jesus taught them how to pray. What is it that Jesus said about prayer? And how should that shape the way it prayerfully dependent community should look. And so the best place to do that, I think, is in Matthew 6. It's one of the the famous prayer that Jesus gives when he's often called the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to look at the whole thing together. Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 5. Jesus starts out, interestingly enough, telling us what not to pray. Okay, so this is what he says. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus starts talking about prayer, He starts out by saying what not to do. It gives you the impression that people probably had an idea of what prayer was already, right? And, and in a sense, that's what we have coming through the doors, talking about prayer. All of us have a preconceived notion of what prayer should look like. And, and so Jesus, I ho- hopefully, is going to actually deconstruct some of those things for us. And the first thing he says is, don't be a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? Yeah, you act one way and then you do something else. Or you say you're one thing and you do something else. You, you project an image of yourself, but the reality is that you're different from that. And so how can you be a, a hypocrite praying? Well, think about it. Uh, prayer, by its very nature, is an acknowledgement of need. When you pray to God, what you're in a sense saying is, you're God, I'm not, I need you. Right? More or less when you do that. And so it's going to the Father and going, come help me. Be, be here. Be in my situation. And so Jesus, he's going, there is a way to pray where we can actually pray where, where we're showing what we're really after is not the, the, the providence of God, but it's the admiration of people. Do you know there's a way that you can pray in such a way where you say, what I'm actually after isn't for God to move in my heart. I'm, I'm only looking to pray so that I project an image for other people so that they'll think that I'm better than I really am. And unfortunately, I've got to say, the church has been really good at this type of prayer. Really, really great at it. And it goes against everything that Jesus is saying here. Because it's not being dependent in prayer, Right? Because the prayer itself is more about you than it is about God and Him moving. And that's why Jesus says, look, if you're going to pray that way, then don't expect God to answer your prayers because you've already received exactly what you're looking for. And so I often think, man, what is one of the number one things that keeps our prayers from being powerful outpourings of the Spirit? It's because we come to Him and we think we already know the answer. We think we already got it all figured out, and so we come to God, and we may pray it in front of other people or even silently, but we think we have it figured out. And really what we're saying to God is, I'm God and you're not, and what I need for you is just to fulfill my request. Jesus is going, no, that's not it. That's not how we should be praying. Pray in such a way that you know and that you're experiencing God as the source of blessing, not what you think is right and not what people think of you. You do that, and you're on the right track. And Jesus said, don't, don't think that praying more words or empty phrases is going to gain you favor either. Don't like elongate your prayers with all the spiritual language or with all these qualifiers, thinking that if, you're, if you just make your prayers like fill up enough time, then they'll be good to go. I think sometimes, in, like in our Christian circles, we think, I have to have 30 minutes with God to start my day. If it's 28, then it didn't count. Right? But you've got this like internal clock of like what's good and what isn't. And so we go, well, oh, man, I've only been praying for 10 minutes. I've got I to pick up my game here. What are some other words I can use? Right? Or, or we qualify everything that we pray. How many of you, I mean, just be honest, how many of you are just prayers? 
Lord God, would you just? And just do this because I just need this and I just want this. So just please, just, just God, Lord, just God. Why do we qualify everything? It, here, here's what we're actually doing, and this is what Jesus is saying. When we're doing that, we're thinking that we're just kind of um, making what it is that we're requesting from God a little bit more palatable for Him. Because, God, because in our, what we're really believing in our heart is, I don't have the Father's favor already, therefore I need to ask for the right things or in the right way or the right amount of time, and if I do all those things correctly, then I will have the favor of God. Jesus is saying to you and to me, when we do that, we're being like people who are actually unbelievers. You don't need to do that, he's saying. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to elongate. Why? You have the Father's favor. If you're in Jesus, you're His child. So ask like a child. I have the the privilege of having a, a toddler at home, and he asks for stuff all the time. I mean, just constantly, he's asking for stuff. And as a dad, I love it. You know? But how does he ask? He asks it directly. When he wants something, he asks me for that specific thing and that thing only. Yesterday, I, was, I said, do you want some milk? He says, no, I want chocolate milk. <clears throat> and he doesn't only ask directly, he asks repeatedly and often. And so I'm getting ready and he's going, I want some chocolate milk. I want some chocolate milk. Can I have some chocolate milk, please? Please, can I have some chocolate milk? Yes, you can have chocolate milk. And so kids ask, they ask directly, they ask often. And, and the, I think the other thing that they ask is they ask with tremendous faith in dad. Don't children, they, they think you can do anything. Like you can just snap your fingers and suddenly like everything comes into being. We were riding in the car the other day. This is on Friday when we were all in the car for like three hours in the morning. You remember that morning? Um, and so we're, we're driving to, to school. And, uh, and we're talking the entire way there. And, uh, and, and he, he had something in the back that came from Grandma and Grandpa. Grandma and Grandpa live in Florida, okay? So, so we're talking about this. And I said, yeah, I mean, sometime this year, we're going to go down and visit Grandma and Grandpa. Would, be, would that be great? Yeah, can we go now? <laughs> oh, sure. You know, on, on the icy road, I'm just going to make the car go in the direction of Florida. We'll be there by lunchtime, you know? <laughs> They just think that you can do it. Do we pray that way from the heart? Do we? Do we pray directly? Do we pray repeatedly? Do we pray with great faith? And then Jesus said, know this, when you ask, know that the Father even knows what you need before you ask it. And so God already has in his mind, I know what my kids need, and, 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 and I'm waiting to give it to them in a sense. And sometimes that can create in us maybe a little bit of hesitation. Like, do you ever go, why should I even pray then? If God just knows everything, why should I even bring that request to him? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Which would be a tragedy in our house, right? Why do you think? Why pray if God already knows? Yeah. Yeah, maybe, wants, maybe God wants us to learn dependency on him. And so he, he would say, ask for it. What else? 
Yeah, it builds our faith in what dad can do, right? I want, I want Caleb to think that I can do anything for this time in my life, you know, at, at this point. Ultimately, he's going to find out the truth, in which case I want him to know that his heavenly father can do everything, right? What else? Yeah, there's a relational thing, right? So when, when you read through the story of God, what you see over and over again is God wants our hearts. And so oftentimes he'll ask us questions just to draw our heart out so he, he can reveal what's actually going on in our lives and then deal with it with grace. And, and, and so prayer is it's less about getting what you want. It's more about actually God getting your heart, right? Does God have our hearts in prayer? See, it's not primarily about getting stuff from him. It, it, here's the other thing I think of. Like, God can do anything he wants, right? We're all agreed on that. Um, the term that the Bible uses for that is sovereignty, that God pre-orders that everything's going to come to pass the way that he determines it comes to pass. This is a crazy thought. What if God already determined to give you something only when you ask for it? I just messed with your minds right there. <laughs> right? What if he already planned from the beginning of time that you were to have something, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's to see somebody in your life come to faith in him. You know know that it's probably part of his will already, and yet God is waiting for you to come into his throne room, sit on his lap, and say, Daddy, can I? What if he's waiting for that moment? It's a good question, right? I thought so. So he goes on, okay, this is not, this is how you shouldn't pray, here's how you should pray. And this is where it kind of gets familiar for all of us. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you grew up hearing that prayer all the time? How many of you grew up and that prayer was a mantra or a manuscript that you just prayed continuously and, and really it had no heart meaning behind it? That was my experience growing up. And, and it's funny because he's, Jesus is saying, this is how we should pray. And I'm convinced that Jesus is saying, this is how our life of prayer should be approached. This is, this is the encapsulation of what it means to be a prayerfully dependent person in community. And we take the wholeness, the fullness of all of that, and we reduce it down to a little nugget that we can say over and over and over again to gain our Father's approval. It's a tragedy, I think. So let's go through it. Let's find out what Jesus actually means by some of these things. He starts out, Our, and Our Father. Uh, for, for Jesus, prayer wasn't just a me thing. And I think for so many of us in the church, prayer just becomes this individualistic channel between me and my Heavenly Father. And it never includes other people where you actually get around others and pray together with one mind. And that's what we see in the community of Acts, right? They are together praying. There's a community aspect to their prayer. It's our, it's not me. And so I, I think we reduce the Christian faith oftentimes. Look, it should always be personal, the Christian faith but it should never be private. If your faith is only private and not public and not communal, it's not all that Jesus has in store for you. He wants more for you than that. And and not only that, but he's your father. 
So there's a, there's a community that comes around God with the intimacy of a father. The word that Jesus has used there, you, you may have heard this before, is Abba. It's Abba Father. There's a, there's a closeness there of relationship. There's an intimacy that's going on there. There are only two people, one of them can talk and one of them can't, that can call me father, that can call me daddy. There's only two people that get to do that. That's a pretty tight-knit group, right? And, and one of them, the older one now, for the first time, I guess he was watching something, some kind of cartoon, he came in and instead of calling me daddy, he called me dad. And there was a little bit of a check in my heart. and There's a little bit of like foreshadowing down the road when I'm thinking there is a day when he's not going to be dependent on me anymore as father. When our, our, our relationship is going to change and the, the intimacy that we have now between a childlike person and, and, and daddy is going gonna, is gonna to shift, right? Now ultimately that's a good thing for me and for him. Because if he's still calling me daddy when he's 40, then we have a problem, right? My role as a father isn't to keep him there. My role as a father is to nurture that intimacy and then transfer that intimacy to his greater father, right? That's all of our roles as dads, is to connect our children with their, their Abba father, their daddy, and to teach them what intimacy looks like with him. And this is hard for a lot of us because I know in many ways, many of us grew up with bad fathers and so this whole idea of God as Father is tainted for us. Please, what I, I would pray that, that you would really ask God, ask the Spirit to reverse that for you. That's one of the indications that we start to come to faith and start to know that God is our, our daddy is when we can have intimacy with him and we can look to our earthly dads and go, you know what, I forgive you and I pray for you. One of the big indications that we're actually praying with the kind of heart that Jesus wants us to pray for. He's not our, our, just our daddy, but he's in heaven. And now, I know for us, in the, maybe an American in the church, we think of this as being um, a location, right? Earth, heaven, somewhere up there. And so when we, I, I know that I had this experience when I prayed this growing up. Our Father, who art in heaven felt to me like, yeah, I have a dad, but he's, he's like a, 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 a dislocated dad. He's, he's like a dad who's, who's out of town, you know? He's, he's an absentee father. He's our father, but he's not here. So he's somewhere else, right? So what Jesus is saying, this isn't a location. This is an indication of his power. Our dad is the king of everything. He's the king. He's the one that's in charge. And so we're not just intimate with him, but he has the power and rule over everything. Think of your life. He, he is king over your job. He is king over the things that stand against you. He is king over your boss. He is king over your spouse. He is king over your kids. He is king of everything. He is king over sickness and death and Satan. Everything. He has the power over it. There's nothing that you face and no one that you know that he does not have reign over. And now I, I know we start playing this game where we think, well, there's a lot of people that aren't submitted to his reign. And that's true. But if God is sovereign, that is, has power over everything, then he's still able to work everything towards his will. How might that change the way that you pray? 
You, you don't just have a father who loves you and for you. You have a father who loves you, for you, and who is in charge of everything. That should change things for you if you really believe that. It did for the community in Acts because they started praying really outlandish prayers. In the midst of incredible opposition, they're going, what are you going to do to us? You can't even hurt us because we have a dad that loves us. And even if you kill us, we're going to go be with him. So you can't take our life away. You can't put us in prison. You put us in prison, we're converting all the guards. They're going to be singing to Jesus by the end of the day. You can't touch us, you know? You try to torture us, and Jesus will give us the power to overcome that because he overcame it on the cross. What are you going to do to us? Whom shall we fear? We have a Father who is King of all. Do your prayers look that way? I I think we should be audacious in what we ask for and in how we ask for it. That's what Jesus is saying. Next he says, hallowed be your name. How many of you use the word hallowed in conversation often? Keith, thank you, man. I appreciate that. (laughs) Hallowed means to make something holy. So what Jesus is saying is, may your name and your fame be above mine. May your name be the one that's most important. May you be greater than I. Let my name be less and your name be more. That's what he's saying. So do you pray that way in your neighborhood? Or are you concerned with what your neighbors think about you and so you won't talk about Jesus? Do you pray that way at work? And, or, or you just you need the next promotion or the next thing to come through? You need your coworkers to like you and respect you and love you? Do you pray that way at work? See, if you prayed, hallowed be your name at work, you'd be more concerned about the fame of Jesus in your company than yours. You'd be less concerned probably with where you end up on the ladder and where Jesus ends up on the ladder of people's hearts. Because you'd go, you know what? I'm here for the fame of my king and not for my own fame. And so I'm going to come as a servant. And if that means that Jesus wants to raise me to the top of the company, then he's king. He can do that. I'll use my platform for him. But if he would have me stay at the lowest rung and that's where I can serve people and be a witness to who he is, then Jesus, make that happen. Right? Hallowed be your name. Whose fame are you living for? And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are two competing kingdoms in the world. At all all times, there is your kingdom and there is Jesus' kingdom. So whenever I live, here's my own experience. Whenever I live out my kingdom, the result in my life is darkness and death. Things don't go well when I start living for myself, I've found. Those of you who may have even more experience than I have in life, is this true? The more you live for yourself, the more you try to gain things for yourself, the more you try to build your own kingdom, the less and less authority and stature and everything that you seem to have. It just crumbles within your hand. It's like sand that falls through. Jesus is going, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Start living, start praying for God's kingdom to come in your, in your world. Because when you do, when you let that happen, what you're going to see, instead of darkness and death, you're going to see light and life. You're going to see yourself come alive. You're going to see others start to come alive around you. How often do we pray that prayer and mean it? How often do we say to God, your rule, your reign, increase in my life. Let me become less so that you can become more. 
See, I think oftentimes the reason that we don't pray is that we don't want to be changed. We really don't. We, we want to be content with our kingdom and maybe even increase the borders of it. And, and so when our kingdom is attacked, when our kingdom, there, there's threats against our rule in life, then at those points in life, when we're threatened with sickness or with death or with depression or whatever, then we go to the greater king and we say, God, can you increase the borders of my rule? Because I'm, as a king, I'm tapped out. I have no more power to do what I'm facing. But do we pray that prayer when things are going well, too? So that our reign doesn't increase, but his reign actually increases through us. Through our jobs. Through our homes. Through our relationships. Through our money. In our kids' lives. See, and here's the thing, too. Sometimes when we get on this track of God being king and we... Even pray with a right prayer. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. So oftentimes we, we, we shift it from being areas where God wants his kingdom to come in our lives to areas where we want God's kingdom to come in, our li- in other people's lives. And so we, we pray prayers like this. God, would you change him? God, would you make her different? God, would you come and, and do this to them? And most of the time it's because they're really bothering us, right? What if instead we prayed, God, let your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and let it begin with me. Let it begin in my heart. Search my heart, Lord, and and find any way in me that isn't submitted to your rule and, and help me to do business with that area. What if we prayed that first? Let me be the beginning of your reign on earth because you've put a piece of your reign. You've put heaven in my heart. And then give us this day our daily bread. We get to be people that bring our daily needs before God. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you had to pray because you weren't sure if your daily need was going to be met? Yeah, I've been there. When I first came to faith in Christ, I was living uh, in, a, in a house with five other people. And uh, I was raising support to be a missionary in Philly. And uh, the support wasn't coming in. And even the people that had pledged support, what happens over the years is that you get a lot of gifts on the front end, so everything looks swimmingly. It's like, man, I got this great bank account. And, and you draw paychecks from this account that you have with the mission agency. That's how you get your paychecks. So if the money's there, great, you get a paycheck. If the money isn't there, you don't get a paycheck. And so I'm, I'm watching this total <laughs> drop throughout the year, and I'm getting to like February going, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm living on rice, you know, um, the, the, a serious situation. And yet in the midst of that time, I think I learned dependency on my father like no other time in my life because I had to pray this exact prayer. God, meet my daily needs because I don't know where they're coming from. And then miraculously what happened is people would start to give gifts over and over again. I saw it you know, week to week. I even got to one point in, in the year, and I, I, I think I've told this story before where I, I feel like God was leading me to, to propose to Mandy to uh, to start the process of her becoming my wife. And I had, I had like $200 in my bank account. And I'm going, okay, I've got I to buy a ring. I've got to do something, you know. And, um, 
and then through through the church that I was serving there at that time, um, I was I was helping to do some some kind of evangelistic stuff for the church, and somebody said, you know what, that's valuable work. What if I'm, I'm going to give you this amount? And it and it turned out to be exactly what I needed to buy her a ring. So I went and bought one, and my bank account went back down to two hundred dollars. <laughs> Eventually it went back up. Do you run to God with your daily needs? Do you run to him with your need for food, but also your need for comfort, your need for intimacy, your need for peace? Or do you run to other people? Do you have somebody in your life that gets to be the sounding board for everything that goes on in your life, first and foremost, before God does? God's saying, no, I can meet that need. It's not saying that counsel isn't bad or that... Obviously, community is good, but who do you run to first? Then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many of you have some kind of debt? How many of you don't? Let me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. It's, it's, it's everywhere, right? It, it seems like it's hard to live without debt, although I think we're called to biblically. How would you feel then... Those are, think of the, the dollar amount, maybe, of, of the debt that you have. Or maybe even the dollar amount of the most debt you've ever had in your life. How would you feel if you got a letter this week saying that every penny was paid in full? You just got a letter in the mail. Congratulations, it's all gone. What would you do? I'd get in debt again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's not true. You'd probably celebrate, right? You would, I mean, feel the weight of that for a second. Paid in full. Do you know that there was a much greater debt that stood against you in the form of sin? And that it was a debt that didn't just ruin your credit score. It's, it's a debt that kept you eternally separated from the Father who loves you and who came to die for you. And that, that, that the weight of that debt, if you're unreconciled to Christ, walks around with you every day, every moment, everywhere that you go. And then realize that whatever monetary debt that you have, add at least ten zeros to it, doesn't even compare. And Jesus is saying, he's showing us, we can actually come to our Father and ask for him to forgive that debt. And he'll pay it in full. Why? Because it's been paid in full because of Jesus. Jesus gave his perfect life for that debt so that your debt would be absolutely, utterly forgiven and forgotten for eternity so that you can be reconciled and reunited with the Father that loves you. He loves you. And then he says in his prayer, now go and demonstrate that I've forgiven you by the way that you forgive other people. So if someone has a debt against you, forgive it. Why? Because I've forgiven a far greater debt for you. See, here's how we know that that happened. Because oftentimes we think of forgiveness and we think, man, there's, if, th- if that were true, then I'd have to be reconciled with the person that sinned against me um, or, or I'd have to just forget about it and it never affects my life again. It doesn't mean any of those things. And I don't want to minimize maybe the ways that we've all kind of been hurt by other people because of sin, but it does mean this. 
if we've been forgiven, it does mean that knowing that our debt has been canceled, we would want God to cancel their debt too. So can you pray that way? For those that have hurt you, can you pray with, with that kind of prayer in mind, God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Sounds a lot like Jesus, right? If not, then, then you haven't forgiven them. And what probably is likely is that you haven't come to terms with the depth of the forgiven that you've been given freely in Christ. Then last, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's the thing about Jesus. He was tempted in major ways, right? Uh, he came up against evil in his life. Did he not? If we who are his followers come after this Jesus, should we not also expect to experience temptation and evil in our life? I'm sorry, but I think the Christian life has been built as this. Your life is a mess. You come to Jesus. He cleans it up. You have a perfect life from now on. And that is not Christianity. Ask anybody that's been a Christian for 10 years or more. That's not it. But what you have within you is the power to deal with temptation and evil. That's the promise. That's the hope within you, is that you actually have the presence of God in you to deal with those things. So what Jesus is saying is, what if you actually prayed before you experienced the temptation that you always say yes to? What if you actually stopped and prayed that God might lead you away from that instead of towards it? Before the next time that you sit down at your computer and get on the internet. Before the next time you're watching HBO late at night. Before the next time you go to work and have to deal with that person that just presses every button of yours again. What if you actually prayed for God to give you a way out and then actually deal with the temptation once you experience it so, so that you would have the power to say no where once you've always said yes. See, this is Jesus' prayer. So I hope what you're seeing is that prayer isn't just a mantra and specifically this one, isn't just something that you tack on to the end of prayer once you've already shared your heart with God. It's the fullness of what our prayer life should look like when we're living in dependency on him. And so Jesus is going, this, this is what prayerful dependence looks like. And the wonderful thing about Acts is that you go, it makes perfect sense. They are living out everything that Jesus said, this is what prayer looks like. You see it from day one. Let me ask, are we a prayerfully dependent community? I, I think we have areas to grow in that. I really do. Um, and, and even when I think about that, there, there are a couple different dangers. One is, I mentioned on the front end, that, that we can often live the kind of lives that don't demand prayerful dependency on our Father. And so, so we can live lives that, that don't require His presence or His power and so why would we be a praying people? And that may be you today. The second thing, though, is that we can often, and this is where I kind of fall in, we can try to live lives that are about the king's business. Like, we can be people that say, yes, you're my king. Yes, I believe that I have the spirit in me. Yes, I believe that you've called me to live as a witness to all people. But then we can make it about ourselves and depend on ourselves rather than him to get it done. And I'm learning that my heart easily falls into that second danger. That I can sometimes think more about strategy and what we need to do next rather than the king and what he would want to do next. 
to, we can try to do this whole mission thing entirely in our own power and our own wisdom. And, and so the truth is this, and that's what I'm coming to terms with. If we're not seeing fruitfulness in our lives, if we're not seeing God bear fruit in the form of other people coming to know him, starting to walk in his ways, to becoming leaders and then getting sent out to do the same thing, that's what Jesus said is my mission, then it's probably because we're not connected to him enough. It's probably because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And I, I, and I, just one of the things that I've seen in my own life this past year is something that I think God is needing to deal with in my heart this next year is, is exactly that. Because Jesus said himself, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll bear much fruit. You won't be able to stop the fruit that starts to get bared in your life. So let's start by being a, a prayerfully dependent community. In your groups, I mean, even if you think of being together, are you, de- are you together prayerfully? Are you coming to God constantly and begging him to show you what to do next and how to live and who to, to pour love out onto? Or do you assume that you already know the answer? That's the question I'm asking myself a lot. See, when, when our prayer life is this way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the result of two things. It's going to be the result of whether or not we trust that God is our Father, and it's going to be the result of whether or not we have faith that our Father is a Father who answers prayer. So if you're struggling in one of those areas, and you've got good news that Jesus actually covers that for you. And when we're going to celebrate in a moment the fact that Jesus died for our inability to do it on our own and forgives us when we try to. That's what his body and his blood are all about. Um, and so wherever that is in your area, if you're feeling inadequate, come to the table this morning and ask God to fill you and forgive you. So let's come to him and respond.